Welcome to the Follow Me Podcast. I'm Allie Grant, the founder of Be Social. Each week, we're inviting influencers, entrepreneurs, and the digitally savvy to share their social media story. We're going to break down how they've grown a business through their social footprint. Join us by following along on their journey. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I guess we're back up and running. Um, I have Natalie Bacon with me, who is our associate talent manager here at Be Social, who helps me with all the podcast stuff. So she's also helping me with the intro because I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm also, we're both working from home, but we are so excited to relaunch Follow Me. Uh, We have a really great guest today and we're going to learn so much from her. Um, But we took a little bit of a break because things got overwhelming. Um, In March, we went on a lockdown and we all got kicked out of our offices and started working from home. And so we finally figured out how to record from home. Uh, we're using Squadcast and other things, right, Natalie? I don't fully know, but yes, we're using like Squadcast. We got some new mics. So let us yes. know how the sound sounds because and be gentle on us because we're still playing yeah. around with it. Um, but hopefully it still gets the message across and you can have fun with us. Yes, agreed. We're super excited. Um, I feel like I always say that. But okay, so we're going to start how we normally start. And that is what we saw on the internet. Um, Lots of time spent on the internet these days because we're just, you know, quarantined at home. So Natalie, what have you been seeing? So I spend too much time on TikTok, as I'm sure everyone does now in quarantine. I didn't have a TikTok until like uh, maybe like May. Mayor That's so shocking. I was because really. Are you a Gen Z? Are you Gen Z? Technically, I'm Gen Z. I'm like right on the cusp. Um, but I was really anti it for a long time, and then finally, I was so bored that I was like, "I'm going to see what this is all about." And I figured, you know, I probably should know this for my job, and so I got it. And then it was just a down hill ever since. It's just like a black hole. I spend too much time there, but I love it. Um, and so what I saw on the internet this week has been like all over TikTok and this girl, Olivia released this new song called driver's license. If you haven't listened to it, you should go listen to it. Um, it's really sad. So, you know, kind of fitting for the times. But, <laughs> I don't need that right now. <laughs> but it's all the rage right now amongst Gen Z, because basically she's like this Disney star. She was on the high school musical reboot that they did. And she was dating this guy, I guess. And then he broke up with her for another girl. And so now she released this song and it like jumped to number one on like all the music charts, like past Taylor Swift, like past everyone. I feel like anything I see on the internet, it has been this song and everybody like raving over this song. Um, and it kind of just came out of nowhere. So it's really exciting. I feel like just proves the power of the internet. But then there's also some drama behind it and we all love Oh. Some good drama. So that's what I saw this week. Well, the funny thing is, is I literally don't even know what you're talking about. So <laughs> it goes to show that I'm a millennial and you're a Gen Z and I need to get my life together. So send me a link after this so I can be informed. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're going to see it everywhere now. Watch. It's like once it enters your like subconscious and then it's going to be yeah. like everywhere. It reminds me, like, I don't even know what the video is, but, like, what you're saying reminds me of that, like, Rebecca Black, like, Friday video that, like, went viral, you know? Like, how everyone <laughs> was talking like about that. that on, like, viral levels, but this is, like, good quality. Like, it's a good song. Okay. Got it. <laughs> that was a little bit questionable. Not to diss Rebecca, but Friday was 
pretty good too. Um, yeah, different okay. levels were good. <laughs> um, okay, well, mine is about the Sex in the City revival that's coming back to HBO Max. I am so excited about this reboot. I feel like actually like on a past episode, we talked about the Hillary Duff reboot or not Hillary Duff. What am I trying to say? Lizzie McGuire. Yeah, that. Well, but then she's not, not doing it anymore. No. She's not. No, what it's happened? really upsetting. Um, I definitely think like probably one of our last episodes was talking about that. And we were excited. I mean, I was definitely excited. And then, yeah, that's what's really happened in the months that we've been dark. <laughs> Lizzie's gone. She's Lizzie's gone. But Sex in the City is back, and that's way more exciting. So, looking forward to that. But Samantha's not going to be part of it, which she was like my favorite character. So, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm always curious with reboots if how the quality is going to be, and if it's you know the same vibes and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But <laughs> I'm excited. I feel like everyone has been living for like new television shows and content more than ever. Right. So. Yeah. So hopefully people listen to this podcast because they're like desperate and have nothing else else to listen to. So (laughs) when you're taking your morning commute in the morning, you can listen. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, today's guest is amazing. She's a friend in the industry. I follow her on Instagram. Um, I've learned a lot from her um, on other podcasts she's been on and interviews she's done. So um, a lot to learn here today. So I will get into her bio. Brittany Hennessy is the best-selling author of Influencer, Building Your Personal Brand in the Age of Social Media, and the co-founder and chief relationship officer at Carbon August, an influencer development platform service for creators, performers, and entrepreneurs. Brittany was the first senior director of influencer and strategy and talent partnerships at Hearst Magazine, where she secured fashion and beauty influencers for Cosmo, Harper's, Elle, Esquire, Town & Country, Seventeen, Good Housekeeping, and other titles across the portfolio. She was also the first Associate Director of Social Strategy and Influence at Horizon Media, where she secured comedy and parenting influencers for top brands in the entertainment, spirits, CPG, and automotive categories. Brittany was named Talking Influence's 2018 Top Industry Player List, is a member of the Real-Time Academy of Short-Form Arts and Sciences, where she judges the annual Shorty Awards and the Shorty Social Good Awards, and was also a judge of the 2019 Influencer Marketing Awards. We're so excited to have you, Brittany. Let's do this. All right, guys. So we have Brittany here today. I am so excited to chat with her. Welcome, Brittany. Hi. Thanks so much, Allie. I'm super excited to talk to you today. I know. I feel like we're Instagram friends, but not like in real life friends. But that's how probably a lot of our friends are in this industry, right? (laughs) I know. And you're over on the other coast. So you're far away from me. (laughs) I know. And I, I feel like we worked together like four or five years ago on some projects. So. Yeah, yeah, we've worked together a bit, especially when you were when you were first starting out. And now you're like influencer powerhouse woman. So I love it. <laughs> oh, you're sweet. Um, well, we start every episode the same. And I don't know if you're going to know the answer, but what was your first Instagram post you've ever posted ever? Oh my God. I don't know, but it's been, it's been deleted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've done, I've started and stopped my Instagram at least 30 times before I figured out my groove. So who, it was probably like a picture of like a bike with some flowers in the basket and me being like, like bring time. 
filter and just (laughs) well the last post that you still have live is from august 2016 and it's actually a post of jesse malay and doing a campaign for cosmo and candy's brand which i thought was really like perfect (laughs) oh yes that was that's the most recent rebirth of my instagram i was using it as a portfolio for my casting work at hearst so she was the first campaign i did when i got to hearst yeah. No way. Oh my gosh. I love Jesse. That's so funny. I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like it's a perfect segue and I'm so excited to kind of chat about your work. Um, so tell us about when you were at Hearst and the type of things you were doing in the influencer marketing space and really what that looked like working for a publisher and getting into the influencer field. Yeah, I worked at Hearst. I started working there, I think, in 2016. So further along in influencer time, but still relatively early. And I was the first head of influencer marketing Hearst had had. So they were kind of doing some influencer work with you know, the different publications. But as we all know now, influencer marketing is super complicated, trying to keep track of which influencer is promoting what, making sure they're on brand, not only for the advertiser, but also the publication. So really when I got there, I was kind of starting from scratch. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. there are like some templates for things, but it was very much like figure out how much to pay these influencers, you know, because sometimes they're shooting content Sometimes we were flying them to New York to shoot content. So figure out how much they're going to get paid for everything, work through these contracts, figure out the usage, figure out who to cast. And, you know, I think with a lot of brands, their work is a little less complicated because it's, you know, one beauty brand, a fashion brand. And they're like, okay, this is the brand. But Mm -hmm. I had to cast for, like I said before, for whatever the advertiser was, plus making sure that person was also a right fit for Seventeen or Cosmo or L or Esquire or Redbook. And so, you know, between all of those different age groups, then all of the different verticals, because while I was there, we also bought like men's health and women's health. So then it was like fitness blue wide open. And, you know, then having male and female brands, it just, I really had to know like every (laughs) influencer, which, which was great because it allowed me, you know, I can name a a 65 year old floral influencer and a 14 year old, you know, at that time, musically influencer. So that was, was fun, but so much of it was just building everything and trying to figure out how does any of this this stuff work because there was no playbook before I got there. No, there wasn't. And I feel like a publisher, obviously like their bread and butter is like print advertising, digital advertising across their own channels. Like, I feel like that was pretty creative to be like, oh, now we're going to tie in influencers into what we're selling. Was Hearst one of the first publishers to do that and roll that out? They were probably, I would say they're probably up there, if not the first, then one of the first. But, you know, it's a it's a double-edged sword because at the same time, you know, you want, instead of having like a model wear these jeans 10 ways, you want to do an influencer because then, you know, they've got a little more story, they can share it with their audience. But at the same time, I think publishers in general had a very hard time uh, coming to terms with the fact that influencers were about to be the new media companies, which yeah. now mm-hmm. they have learned that lesson a hard way. <laughs> yeah. Especially, you know, I think that Fashionista just did an article about all these editors who left the publishers and are now full-time influencers. Oh, and yeah. 
that really, you know, influencers we know are the new media companies. So I think mm-hmm. for a long time it was how can we how can we add in this hot new thing? And it quickly became, wait, this hot new thing, we're competing with them for, for basically. Yeah. And you were so you were across so many different books. You were across I, I imagine multiple advertisers. Like what tools and tips and tricks were you utilizing at the time to manage all of this? You know, for a long time, it was like the almighty Excel spreadsheet because I think, you know, and that was crazy because like I had like a tab for literally every publication, which was absurd. And so then you ended up with some some tech, you know, I think I used Tagger for a while and we were like looking at Activate and then we had like, Hearst had like an in-house incubator um, program, which they still have now. And it's all female CEOs and it's super cool. So we had like access to AdMaz, which then got bought by Tagger. So, but I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard because influencer marketing is, you know, and all these publishing companies is not the bread and butter of the company. That's not where they make their money. It's like an add on to content. And so trying to justify, you know, tech that costs a hundred thousand dollars a year was people were like, you don't need this. And it's like, but I do. And it's like, you don't. So it really, it took a long time and it took a lot of like, you know, showing how, tech can make your job faster, especially when clients expect, you know, campaigns to be cast by end of day and it's four o'clock to get access to that kind of tech. But really it was all about the Rolodex and being able to call, you know, agents like you and say, hey, I'm working on this. Who do you have that's good? And by the way, I need to know in like 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. That's seriously how it works. It's just so crazy. Was, Was it a difficult task to like you know, showcase what these influencers cost? Like, was there a sticker shop from your internal team? And were they like, no way this person is charging X for this deliverable? Yeah, the sticker shock was real. I mean, so much of what I had to do at Hearst and also at Horizon where I was before Hearst was explaining to them like how influencers make their money. Because for them, they just were like, this is a girl like in a basement filming a video. Like why? They didn't understand. Like they could kind of get behind like, okay, follower count and production. But where we really ran into issues was when you start throwing in, you know, like exclusivity and usage And that's where there was so much education, you know, telling them something like, if we put her in this beauty campaign and she can't work with these three other competitors who normally would pay her X amount per month, we have to pay her for all the money she's going to give up to do. And I think when I started explaining it that way, then people realized like, oh, okay. Because influencer marketing, you know, this is the only, whether it's publishing, social media, advertising, this is really the only place where people are not necessarily spokespeople, you know, where they're like on a retainer for X amount of time to promote a brand. But they do end up with exclusivity clauses where it's like, well, for X amount of time, you actually can't talk about somebody else. So it's such a strange, it's such a strange field where these both of these things apply. And I think people just had no idea in general how influencers made their money, let alone why they needed to charge for like lost revenue. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And I think 
the biggest like piece of, you know, job and influencer marketing, whether like you're on the brand side or representing the brand or the publisher, or you're representing the influencer is the negotiation period where you're like defining all the terms and you're getting everything out on paper. And I feel like people don't realize how much back and forth there is. (laughs) Do you feel like you're an expert negotiator now because of all the conversations? (laughs) managers and agents? Absolutely. I think too, it helps to see across different industries, follower count, ages, genders, like just what are people getting paid? You know, I think people didn't even really realize like YouTubers make the most. (laughs) They get paid. Because, you know, it takes a lot of time to do this video and it's like, does this video have other products in it? Or is this a dedicated YouTube video? And I think, you know, just all these different pieces, even influencers, when they create content, they just create the content, put it out there. And they don't even realize like how much work they understand, like what they do is difficult, but they don't even understand like the different pieces and how those pieces are monetized. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just knowing all those different pieces, seeing that like, you know, this YouTuber may have a lot of followers or subscribers, but like doesn't have a lot of page, doesn't have a lot of video views, or this YouTuber is yeah. very small, but every video she does goes viral because she knows how to use SEO. Like just figuring out like all of those things and how people can charge, you know, because it's one thing to negotiate with the agents on an influencer's fee. But once I'm in agreement with them, it's also, I have to convince the brand that the influencers yeah. worth that much. Right. Middleman, that middleman job is extremely difficult. And the main reason why I don't do it anymore. You're like, I'm out. I'm done. No, I know. It's like, it's so much juggling. And like, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like, in a campaign, I'd be trying to keep you happy, but trying to keep the influencer I rep happy. And it's just like, it's it's chaos. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, We all had like the same end goal, but for whatever reason, a lot of these campaigns can be very confusing and frustrating. Like I feel like they're never super easy, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what was your favorite campaign you did at Hearst and like with what influencer? Oh, my favorite campaign was one I did for Elle and Carrera sunglasses. And that was so cool because I think the difference between doing campaigns for a publisher that really makes it stand out is when you can tell an awesome story. And so um, Leah, who was the editor, she was the branded content editor of Elle.com. You know, it was, she had this idea, like, you know, what if we had like super badass, like pilots on a tarmac wearing these sunglasses and we could like recreate Top Gun. So that's who I found. I found three best friends who were all pilots and the story ended up being, you know, only 5% of the world's pilots are women. Here's their story. And then the photo shoot was amazing on the tarmac. They had on their uniforms, the sunglasses with the plane in the back and the hangar. And it just was like such amazing branded content, but it was branded content that even if it wasn't sponsored, this is a story you would still read. And I think that's the fine line of like, how good is your content? And influencers struggle with this all the time. It's like, it can't be so branded that if I took out the advertiser, this story would not make sense. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you could have taken out the sunglasses and it's people still want to read a story about women, you know, female pilots. 
So I think that might be my absolute favorite. And I'm bummed. I didn't even get to go on that shoot because it was in Florida. It was in Miami, but I saw the pictures and I was like, wow, this is... Oh my gosh, I have to Google that. I'm so intrigued now. I love that. Yeah, it was really cool looking. Oh, it was awesome. So, I mean, you, like, for many women would probably be, like, having the dream job. You're at her, you're working with Elle and Cosmo and, like, all these amazing publications. So you made the leap of faith to go out on your own. Can you talk me through that? And why did you make that change? Sure. So I think, you know, even before I, I was considering leaving, one of the main things that, you know, from a, a altruistic standpoint of helping influencers and for a more selfish standpoint of how do I solidify myself, solidify myself as an expert in this space, mm-hmm. I ended up writing the book, Influencer, which was 100% my husband's idea. And he oh. pushed for it. And was like, you really should write this book because I kept saying, you know, there's all these materials for brands and like these influencers are a disaster. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'd either be dealing with influencers who were completely unprofessional and like didn't understand like, you know, business jargon. Like they didn't understand that like end of day is not the same as close of business, which if you work in an office, you know these things. But if you don't, you don't know what that means. You know, all these influencers who were just so excited to get a contract that I know they didn't read it just by the speed in which it came back to me, you know, or just people not understanding like how to properly read briefs, how to act on set. And just was like, well, somebody just write a book so I could just give it to all these influencers. My husband was like, well, you should do it. And I was like, oh, that was a pretty good idea. And so, you know, I wrote the book. It took from when I wrote it to when it came out, it was like a year and a half. And then when it came out and I was out promoting it, I got to spend a lot of time with people who loved influencers and really wanted the industry to thrive. And I think that was a very big contrast to my day job, which I spent a lot of time, you know, educating people on the value of influencers. And I just was like, I know there is a world in which I don't have to do this part where people already get it. They're already like, yes, yes, influencers are amazing. We know. Now let's carry on as opposed to being like, no, this is why you should add a YouTuber to this campaign because it would be really great. And this is how you, you know, so I think there was a lot of education, which at that point, it was already like 2018. I was really like, if you don't get it by now, I don't know if you'll get it. And I really wanted to be in a place where I could just just jump right into it. And also, you know, dealing with brands, anyone who deals with brands knows it's exhausting because you can give them counsel and they still won't listen to you. (laughs) So it kind of ended up being like, you guys don't really need my help here because one, you're not going to listen to me anyway. And two, you know, brands have so many resources. There's so much tech. There's, there's so many influencer marketing books for brands. There's so many conferences. And I mean, I was like, nobody's doing these things for influence. And so I decided that I was going to be the person who could tell influencers, listen, as someone from the inside, let me tell you how this industry works. And so I just switched over to, you know, the book was a great way for me to see like, oh, look at how many people don't have information that I thought was super basic, you know, like put your email in your bio. People are like, I never thought of this. Like, wait, what? (laughs) So then I switched over to like, doing some coaching with influencers and then like some huge influencers were asking for my help. And I was like, wait, if you need help, then everybody needs help. And I just like this side so much more because, you know, I can 
see so many of the influencers that I work with, like I work with them, I give them some tips, they do it. And then I get to watch a lot of their careers like explode just because they have some guidance. And that's just so rewarding. And you don't get that kind of reward, you know, helping a brand make a really cool campaign. I mean, that's also very fun and cool, but these are like, you know, small business women owner, you know, these are women who have like their own mini business and they're trying to have financial independence and to be able to help them is just more rewarding than helping, you know, a billion dollar beauty company. Yeah, absolutely. Were you scared to make that leap? Like not having a steady paycheck every two weeks or did you have clients sort of lined up already? So I had started consulting a little bit before Mm -hmm. I left And I just knew from like, just seeing like the number of like terrible courses that started popping up and like copycat books. I was like, there's definitely a market for this. Mm -hmm. And also the way I looked at it was, you know, I work, I work here. I just had a book come out. I'm not like the top of my game. So if I try this and it doesn't work, somebody else will hire me. And so I think that's a really, most people don't have, you know, most people don't have that kind of security. And I already had a bunch of people who are trying to poach me from Hearst. Like since the minute I got there, they were like, you can come over here and come work at our company. So I, I, with, with, with relative assurance knew that if going out on my own didn't work out, I could go get a job somewhere else. So I think that made it much easier to, mm-hmm. to leave. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I'm also so interested, like your book, you had a publisher, right? Like, is that process mm-hmm. difficult? And like, how- <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's funny because when I said, I said I wanted to, I was like, okay, I'm going to write a book. And so I told a bunch of people I knew I want to write a book. And so, you know, then a bunch of people were like, oh, here's an agent. So my mentor gave me an agent, one of my agent friends who books influencers. He had a literary agent friend. And then um, another influencer agent I knew, she had an agent friend. So I ended up talking to three different agents. And, you know, I think that's what so many people, when they want to do something, their biggest mistake is they don't ask their networks for help first. Because Mm -hmm. I could have gone Googling and sending cold emails, but what? I just told everyone, like, if you know somebody, tell me. And people are like, yeah, I know someone. So once you get, once you get an agent, which if you want a real publisher, you have to, you have to have an agent. They won't talk to rando people, (laughs) but then, you know, you have to put together the whole proposal. What's the point of this book? You know, who's going to read it? Who's it for? And actually that was the most difficult part because, you know, book publishing, like a lot of other industries is very old school and they did not understand social media at all. And only, I think out of, we pitched like 25 people and only one person said yes to the book which all of those people are kicking themselves now because this book is in eight languages and, you know, has an audio book and has sold like a hundred thousand copies at this point. So, yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, you're lost, but you know, one of the most common things I heard was I could see how this could be a magazine article, but not how it could be a whole book. And I think so much of that was just because people didn't know how much work went into being an influencer. They didn't understand creating the content and pitching and getting brands to notice you and negotiating your contracts. They didn't even know that these types of things were happening to know that this is an area of knowledge that people just don't have. And so, you know, I chalked that up to their only, you know, when I was pitching it in what, 2006? 
16. There were only mm-hmm. like a few of us, like if you went on LinkedIn and looked for people whose jobs had the word influencer in them, there weren't mm-hmm. that many of us, you know, yeah. a handful. And we all knew mm-hmm. each other. And then it like exploded to now every brand has a SVP of influencer marketing and then a whole team where nobody had those kind of titles, you know? Yeah. What do you actually think of the word influencer and like the negative connotation with it? People always ask me that. And I'm always like, what negative connotation? I'm like, being an influencer is amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I always say like influencer is not a dirty word, but people use it negatively. You know, they're like, oh, influencer. And it's yeah. like, it usually it's so, it's so sexist. It's so like, mm-hmm. oh, these girls who are just, yeah. you know, playing in makeup or something. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like literally in sports, people are playing basketball for a living. Like you play basketball when you're five years old, but we right. don't give them a hard time. You know, right. it's not like, ooh, athlete with air quotes. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think people, and then because of that, you know, influencers, really good influencers started saying, oh, I'm not an influencer. I'm a blogger. Or I'm a content mm-hmm. creator or making mm-hmm. up all these things. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still an influencer. Right. This is just like, a, this is a subsection of mm-hmm. influencer. Being an influencer just means you influence people. And, mm-hmm. you know, not all content creators are influencers, actually. Some people just make content, but, you know, maybe they make content and sell it directly to brands. They haven't built an audience that's waiting for recommendations for them. So I would tell people when you start saying you're not an influencer, what you're telling me is you actually don't influence anybody. And is that the message you want to put out that, oh, I make content, but nobody cares. And when I started saying that, people were like, oh, I was like, yeah, the only people who call themselves influencers can be these people with six followers asking for, you know, five star hotel stays like that can't be the face of this word or the whole industry is going to go to shit. So I need you guys to like reclaim, reclaim this word. You know, we can reclaim bossy and bitch and all these other words like we can reclaim influencer. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good perspective. I love that. Um, well, tell me a bit about Carbon August. And it used to be Carbon Collective or just Carbon. So, and now- so we have, so there are a lot of things. So when, before Carbon August was created as like its own like entity, my husband yeah. and I, we co-founded Creators Collective. And we were doing this, I think I was still at her. I would say I was still at Hearst when we were doing this. Okay. And we were putting on like these little events where, you know, there'd be like 50 to 100 people. We'd have like some influencers, an agent and some people from brands and you could come and I would moderate them and I would interview all these people and ask them really hard questions. And so we liked that. That was cool. And then when I left Hearst, it was like, if we're going to do this, we've got to like be legit. And so you know, Carbon August was made. Carbon was actually under the Carbon August umbrella, but it was actually a different company where my husband, who knows how to do so many crazy things, he built an app. And we actually had a company where we connected influencers to hotels and would help facilitate their stays through this app. And it was nice and it was fun. We had, you know, some really big influencers stay at some great hotels in the city. But again, it was another one of these things where, you know, with hotels, half the time, most hotels actually don't have a dedicated influencer person. 
they have a social media person and influencer is like one tenth of their job, which as we all know, that can easily be your full-time job. So Mm -hmm. it was really hard to get them to put in the time and energy necessary to do it. So that's something that's on hold. And thank God, because with coronavirus, nobody's going anywhere anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we did not put all our eggs in that basket. But Carbon August actually got rebranded a few weeks ago as an influencer education company, because that's really, you know, at the base of it. It's not so much that we're, we'll cast for you, even though we will if you want us to, but it's really helping influencers and brands get a hang on what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And so we have, you know, the standard stuff for influencers. I, you know, do coaching and I have some courses and I put out all this Instagram content and newsletters and all of that. But then on the brand side, you know, we've started working like one of the companies we work with, we work with four and I'm their head of influencer education. And so if you're on the four platform, we have like this great Facebook group where you can ask questions. We do monthly chats. I interview influencers and post the content in there. And so we work with a lot of brands, just helping them if they have a group of influencers that they work with, making sure all the influencers know how to read the briefs and making sure all the influencers know what they signed up for and just making sure the influencers can be, you know, good influencers. And I think, you know, if you're so busy trying to execute a campaign, you don't have time to educate the talent. But sometimes that's the make or break between whether or not your campaign is successful. And so we've created a company that does that and we've added in, you know, like crisis management because (laughs) every brand knows the minute an influencer wants to cancel you, you have big problems. Yeah. (laughs) So just there have been like a bunch of people who we've advised on that manner who are just like, X, Y, and Z is happening. Shit is hitting the fan. What do we do? (laughs) You know, and then just helping them walk through, okay, what's the problem? Do you see this problem bubbling up? And just, just helping people because, you know, this is such an area of like, unless you're paying attention to it all the time, like you can't really be an expert in it. It's too complex. And so I love this sort of thing. So it was perfect, a perfect way for for me to just do it full time. Yeah, I love that. And are most of the people who inquire to you, are they micro-influencers or macro or all across the board? It's all across the board. I'm always surprised at who emails me. Like I've had, I've done personal coaching with celebrities, which I have to like not fangirl while I'm doing it. And they're like, Hey, you know, I just started my Instagram and I'm just like, I know I was like your third follower, but okay. (laughs) You know, so even, even that, or people saying, you know, I'm an actress or I'm a musician and this is cool, but like, I heard how much influencers are making and like, I want to do that. And so, you know, And then you've got all these reality TV stars who don't have the biggest problem influencers have, which is like creating a following. You know, they go on TV and they have a million followers overnight. So they're like, great, I have all these followers. How do I monetize this? And so it's, it's such a wide range, you know, and it tends to be people who are a little more on the established side because I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to say cheap because it's not cheap, but like my services are a little on the pricey side. Because if they listen and do it right, we'll be making a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think that's been really what's so rewarding is because I look at so many of the influencers at like when they give testimonials and this one, uh, Jody Collado, she's on my, she's on my website with her testimonial, but she was, you know, she was an actress in a lot of indie films and she was like, I really want to do this influencer thing. 
And for like a year, we would do like coaching and different things. And she's like, I'll just buy whatever you're selling because I need to like get inside your brain. And in like less than a year, she had, I think she broke 10,000 followers. She had, she scored like six major brand campaigns, you know, with brands she loved and in media. You know, I think she was on like, um, she was on like the homepage of Women's Health, like one of those, one of those months. She was like the face of like, you know, some hairband company. She was killing it, you know, and that's somebody who 10 months before that had 3000 followers. You know, yeah. and so she 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 always says like she's like I already made back all the money I've spent with you and then some. So Gosh. it's a good investment, you know. But it only works if like they listen to you because there are plenty of influencers I work with. But I tell them what to do and then I check in on them and they haven't done not a single thing I've said. <laughs> That's the worst. That happens to us a lot too. Yeah, like <laughs> it's like I can lead you to water, but I can't make you. Post a reel. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I it, that part's frustrating. We like also like we'll have a lot of more like celebrity type um, of I guess quote unquote influencers come to us, but like they're really not influencers yet. Like they might have a good following, but they never create content. <laughs> right. Month, and they're like, oh, I want to I want to start working with brands, and it's like, well, why would I work with you just because of the following? There's tons of people with following. Like, right. So that education piece is uh, pretty difficult. <laughs> I have to send some people your way. <laughs> sure. Write me and send them back to me. When they're ready. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it can, it can be done. And I think one of yeah. the great things is, you know, now because influencer marketing in its current form has been around for so long, you mm-hmm. know, there are, a, there are, blueprints on how to do it you know like there's my book there are all these other books now even on creating content like you know tessa has a book like then they're all there are all these books on like how to grow your youtube following how to grow your instagram following there's just so much information now for influencers that if you want to learn you can sit down and in three months learn a lot and then just kill it because it's actually it's not that hard once you know what you're doing, assuming your content is decent, you have a personality and you understand the marketing part of influencer marketing, yeah. everybody can have a decent following and make money. Like there's yeah. no reason in 2020 that if you want to do this, you can't. The yeah. only way you won't be able to do it is if you don't want to put in the work, in which case, yeah. like we can't help you. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Well, this has been so amazing. We just have a bit of time left. I'm going to start the rapid fire questions. Oh, yeah. Um, So what is one of the biggest myths about being an influencer? One of the biggest myths about being an influencer is that it's fun. (laughs) I mean, so many influencers, they're like, if I have to make another tutorial, I think, you know, it's it's enjoyable because you work for yourself, but like anything, a job is a job. So Mm -hmm. it may be more fun than a corporate job, but sometimes you you don't want to be an influencer either. (laughs) Um, Advice to anyone wanting to become an influencer? Uh, Number one, read my book. Uh, it will give you a decent lay of the land. And two, if you want to be an influencer, tell people you want to be an influencer and don't be embarrassed because you have no idea who in your network can help you because they're a photographer, a videographer, knows your dream brand contact. You know, mm-hmm. don't keep it to yourself because then you'll just be working hard and alone. And that's not the best way to do anything, let alone be an influencer. 
Um, how do you see the influencer space evolving in the next few years? I think influencers will stop working with brands. For the most part. Yeah, I think you've already seen it. Like you saw all of the influencers doing like the branded collabs. And then like 2020 has been the year of like the influencer founder, which, yeah. you know, they've everybody's got a candle or some exercise bands or yeah. coffee or X, Y and Z. And it's just you have this huge following. And if you actually have influence, you have a huge following that will buy what you tell them to buy. Why wouldn't you tell them to buy your own stuff? Yeah. You know, so I think that's where we're going. There will always be influencers who want to collaborate with brands for the credibility. Like, oh, I'm a Nordstrom influencer or X, Y, and Z. Fine. We'll yeah. still see some of that. But in terms of like where people are making their money, you can control that money. We saw yeah. in 2020 that if like budgets dry up and you're a full-time influencer and this is the only income you have, how are you supposed to pay your bills? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You may not get brand deals, but if you have a candle, your audience will buy it. And so I think the shift away from corporate revenue to audience revenue is going to be huge coming up. Um, who is your favorite influencer? My favorite influencer. So people always say they don't have favorites. That's not true. I have a favorite. I have three, I have three, three favorites if I have to pick. Lizzie Silverman is my favorite influencer. She's also my friend in real life. I know her at Hearst. I convinced her to quit her job at Hearst and be a full-time influencer. And she's killing it. So she's one of, she's one of my favorites. Teddy Panosian, one of my favorites. First, like, YouTuber I knew and so smart. Also launched a whole beauty company, Monday Born. And then Jean from the Grey Layers also because her content is just, like, so cool. The pictures are so great. Her face just looks so nice <laughs> and everything, yeah. you know, and I just like her captions because they're very, her, her whole Instagram is very like, it's very inspirational instead of aspirational. Like granted, she has luxury things, but it feels like her level of happiness can be obtained, yeah. which, which I love. And then, you know, all of the, all of those women, they, they are very strong in the areas. Lindsay has like the best blog because she used to be an editor. So she gets mm -hmm. that. And he makes amazing videos, YouTube videos, but even just she edits her own videos. And so sometimes she she made like this trailer for like YSL. And I was like, did you make that? She's like, yeah, my studio. And I was blown away because she can produce like a studio. And then like Jean, who's like one of the few people who like got trapped at home because it's a pandemic and she's a travel influencer. And her content's even better than it was before, <laughs> you know? And so... Those are those are three of my favorites, especially because they've managed to keep reinventing themselves as this industry yeah. changes. And yeah. I think that's the hardest part because I see so many influencers who are doing the same thing they were doing three years ago. And I'm yeah. like, how? You, you can't. This is not how you're going to be successful. So they mm -hmm. really have managed to keep moving. They're all still growing and, you know, have expanded into other parts of, of the influencer business. And I think they're smart and they're definitely ones, ones to watch. Yeah, I love all of this. Um, what is the biggest mistake you see made by brands when you work with influencers? Oh, my God, the biggest is so many. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the number one mistake is, is trusting the process. I mean, yeah. if you spend all this time picking an influencer, trust that the work will be good. Trust that this is the rate that makes that work good and just go with it. If you're not there yet, then you shouldn't use influencers. Yeah. Yep. That's a good one. I might like literally steal that quote. <laughs> <laughs> you're writing that down. You can have it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, this was amazing. Um, where can people follow you? I'm Mrs. Brittany Hennessy on Instagram. And then you can also follow me on I Got a Peloton. So this is like my new obsession. So I'm too, I'm, I'm too legit to Brit on my Peloton and then we can ride together. Uh, I have a Peloton too and um, I'm into it as well. <laughs> it's so great. It's great. That's like the best thing to come out of quarantine is like the Peloton. I know. But like, how did you get one? Wasn't there like a crazy wait list? I ordered it probably over the end of summer and it came in November. So I had to wait. Um, but, you know, I ordered it, I think, a little bit before everybody started ordering it. Yeah. So You're my right. bike didn't get pushed back. And I've been on it for like a month and I love it. Love it. I like, I need to be better with it. I have a treadmill and a Peloton, and I tend to go on the treadmill more, but I know I need to get on the Peloton. I, I bought mine from a friend who was just like, I don't want this anymore. I was like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love it. I use it every day, and I love the, the classes because I really like competing with people. So the leaderboard is my jam. I love, I'm like, if I just turn this resistance up, I can pass these three people. I can yeah. do it. I can do it. <laughs> I just realized like how bad I'm at. Like I, I'll be like sixteen thousand. Like, does that mean like sixteen thousand people are doing better than me? And that? <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but I never. I try not to look at when you're taking like a non-live class, the yeah. metrics, do it when you're in a live class. Cause these are the people taking it with you right now, you know? And I think in like a class of like, I did a class that had uh, 10,000 people in it. And I was number like 16 and I was yeah. hyped. hyped. Oh. <laughs> wow it's but, but you know but then I take classes that have like 9,000 people and I'm number like 189 so you know it's just and you can tell too like I've retaken rides that I took in the very beginning and your stamina is just different you know if you're if you've been on the bike for three years and you are not faster than me like what's going on there <laughs> <laughs> I love this I've never <laughs> The, the word follow me turn into a Peloton talk. So <laughs> that's, I mean, Peloton is life right now. This is, yeah, this is exactly. what we got. Yeah, exactly. You are amazing. You have, you're a wealth of knowledge. I also tell everyone to buy your book. Um, it is so great. I think you sent me one or I bought one. I don't remember. Um, but I'm so thankful for all of the knowledge in that book as well. So thank you for your time today. You are amazing. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to, to be on with you and talk to you and catch up with you. And hopefully sometime before, you know, it's 2025, I can come out to your, your new-ish, new-ish yes. offices. I know, I know. Like coronavirus is just, it's just a lot, isn't it? I'm like, <laughs> But it, it gives us all time to focus on what's important. And I think we'll all be better off next year for that. Yes. That is good perspective. Well, thank you, Brittany. Thanks so much, Allie. All right. Bye. Bye.